Hi, my name is Quanice Floyd. And I'm Peter Dayton. Welcome to the Embrace Podcast. A program of the Embrace series, which is a partnership between arts education in Maryland schools and the Maryland State Department of Education Fine Arts Office. This podcast will examine the human side of arts education and is an opportunity to highlight arts educators from around the state of Maryland. During each episode, we will interview an arts educator to talk about their journey. Each interviewee will be facilitating a workshop as a part of the Embrace series. Today, I'm joined by Ben Lippitz. He is a professional actor and Broadway veteran, Pumbaa from Broadway and national tour productions of Disney's The Lion King. He is facilitating monologue and song masterclass, deepening the acting process, an Embrace session for Maryland's creative teaching force, on Tuesday, June 9th, from 2 p.m. to 2.45 p.m. Ben, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure to be with you. We were just talking before we began about your recording studio, so I'm sure that there have been many ways that you've been continuing work and uh, and finding ways to connect with people through your art remotely, because you've already got that entire infrastructure for that set up in your own house. It was a happy accident. I'd been recording in my study with my laptop and uh, some sound equipment and then we decided to clean house for the spring cleaning and suddenly a utility closet that was fully insulated with an outlet and a light bulb and another kind of light bulb went off and we saw that we had a studio built in so we just moved all the sound equipment there and paneled it off with acoustic foam and lo and behold I've got a recording booth in my house. I'm sure that that has come in very handy for making some pretty quality recordings. So I feel like your title, The Way I Introduced You, gives pretty clearly what you do, but I'm not sure if that necessarily covers how you define your work. So if you could define your work as an artist, what would you call it? I would call it trying to create theater with a capital T. I believe that art transcends every kind of barrier that can be put in front of us. We all have a commonality in our need to tell stories And the type of theater that I like to produce and be a part of is the kind of theater that changes lives, that sparks a conversation where there was none before. Well, I think that being Pumbaa, you have changed many lives just by being this instantiated figure from so many children's favorite movie, from such an influential piece of culture and media. You are actually, as Pumbaa, transcending the animated medium and becoming real in a way. I hope so. That's very kind of you to say. I I go further. I think it's more than a children's favorite story. I think Lion King appeals to everyone, no matter when you see it or how you see it, whether it's the animated feature, whether it's the recent live action film that came out last summer, or if you're fortunate enough to see the live production, I think it speaks to us at different times in our lives. I think we identify with all of the characters and the struggle and the story that they're telling. I think we all want to do better and be a part of, I know it's a cliche, the circle of life. <laughs> well, I mean, if you didn't say it, I... I, <laughs> I don't know. The, the, the funny thing is, you know, I'm a professional actor and have been for nearly 40 years, and I never expected to have a career in one production as long as I have. I've been with the production since 2003, and with a few breaks for other artistic endeavors, other shows and some television and film here and there, I have found a career in this production alone that's unheard of. And it's because I love what I do every day. I get to be the walking embodiment of Hakuna Matata. 
Mm-hmm. And my hope is that I reach the target that everyone has in their mind of who and what Pumbaa is and what he represents. But I'm having the best time. I mean, what could be better than telling this story and being a part of so many lives? That kind of relationship with a single production is practically a marriage. It is. I, I'm curious to know about how you continue to keep that marriage, if you will, or that relationship with the same content and material, how you keep that renewed and how you continue to approach it freshly and how it continues to sustain you as well as you sustaining that part. There's a saying in show business or in theater, perform every night as if it's the first time. And that's a great slogan. That's a great mantra for being a performer. But as I've learned, you can do so many performances that you drain that well dry. Mm-hmm. So then you you invest in the specifics of a performance. Because Lion King is so detailed and complex, I'm not just singing, dancing, and acting. I'm also operating a 50-pound puppet <laughs> that I'm wearing on my torso and using my arms to operate the mouth and eyes and tongue and still juggle all those other elements I can invest in specific parts of the performance and isolate specific things. And then I found out that you can do something long enough that you even drain that well (laughs) dry. And what I finally came away with is I've performed this show over 6,200 times. And when you realize that we only do about 400 productions a year, that's a big commitment of time. I can't remember a specific show I gave a specific performance I gave 10 or 15 years ago, unless it's connected to me personally somehow, if it involves my family or, you know, a landmark in my life. And I've come away with the idea that the show I can remember every day is last night's show, the performance that I just gave. So rather than taking to the stage every night as if it's the first time, I take the stage every night as if it's the last time. If this is the one performance that I'm going to be able to remember for the rest of my life, that's the performance I'm going to give tonight. Every night as if it's the last time. Hmm. It keeps me engaged and fresh. My stakes are high. I'm invested and I'm appreciating the moment rather than falling prey to glossing it over and taking it for granted. Talking about the puppet aspect of it a little more, I'm guessing it took maybe about a year to truly feel you'd mastered that. It's just, we already talk about in terms of at least musical theater, the triple threat, right? Sing, dance, act, operate a puppet. It's like those Jonathan Doyle productions of Sondheim musicals, where he's also asking the actors to play the instruments as well as sing, dance, and act. Well, if you ask Puma to play the clarinet, that's just a sight to see. It's because it's so complex and at the same time simple, it becomes organic. It becomes an extension of me as a performer, as an artist, utilizing every tool at my disposal to tell the story and be present. And that's what I think we're really after in the exercise work uh, that actors, singers, and dancers do throughout their entire careers. It's an eternal process. You never stop learning. You never come out of class. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, how did you become interested in theater and the arts? And then how did you get to the point of your relationship with this production. I always wanted to be an actor. I came to theater and acting in the third grade as Saul, the Jewish reindeer who doesn't get to fly with Santa in a Christmas pageant play. And 
Sala is, a, is an anachronism. It's a, it was a joke and it was a great sight gag. And once I heard an audience laugh and that I could make them laugh, I was hooked. I grew up in elementary, middle school, and high school performing. Uh, I went to California Institute of the Arts for a Bachelor of Fine Arts in acting. Uh, began a graduate degree, which I didn't complete, but worked as a teaching artist, continued to take class, study, sought out teachers that I thought I would match well with as a student, and spent an incredibly long time honing my craft. And for me, there was no other choice. My parents always said, oh, you should train to do something else, have a fallback career, have something just in case. And I always said, if I prepare to fail, I'll fail. So I, I went all in, much to my parents' chagrin, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm uh, obstinate, if nothing else, and tenacious. And I think a career is an amalgam of tenacity and luck and making your own your own luck being prepared when the when the moment when the opportunity presents itself you have to be ready for it absolutely so then you were this character saul the the jewish reindeer who doesn't go, go as santa I'm, <laughs> I'm still kind of processing that there's yeah that's something that's certainly something it was a it was a different time it would be so completely inappropriate now but it was you know it was a play written by a teacher and when I was in the third grade, and this is, we're talking like, you know, late 60s, early 70s. And mm -hmm. just the fact that there was a teacher, one teacher who kind of did all the arts. She was the music teacher. She directed the musical. She put on the talent show. And I think this was before the real explosion of arts education as we know it now. And she was just doing her best. And it was a sight gag and it was very funny. And Saul was very studious and studied, and but just not up to pulling the sleigh. <laughs> mm, it sounds almost like a Mel Brooks it, gag. It really felt like a Mel Brooks gag the more I think about it. It was very funny and very broad. And by today's standard, I think it would be very inappropriate. But at the time, seeing a, an eight-year-old trying to do this was very funny. And I think the laughter and applause was more out of the effort than the material, but it put me on my path. It certainly was a different time, though I'm sure that there are a number of educators who could say that pretty much nothing has changed in terms of being asked to do so many things as either the single educator for the arts or as only one of a few being asked to undertake all of these different responsibilities. So this this educator wrote you the role that began your path, but can you point to either a figure or a, a moment from your K through 12 educational journey where a teacher really was part of helping you find your voice through your art or hone your craft or helps you come to a light bulb moment in your artistic process? I was really fortunate because I can think of off the top of my head, four teachers from K to 12 who really ignited that passion for me. One was an English teacher who was one of the theater advisors when I was in ninth grade. Two others were another English teacher and a science teacher who were theater advisors. And one was a theater teacher who taught theater specifically. Our high school had a curriculum that included theater. And that teacher to this day has become a cherished friend. First, he was my teacher, then a colleague, 
And now he's a family friend that I've been fortunate enough to actually work on stage with. It's grown into a 40-year friendship. But without those four teachers, without their input, without their passion and their guidance, I would not have found my way. They made all the difference. That's really just wonderful. So let's talk a bit about you teaching then and your masterclass that you are going to be facilitating for the Embrace series. Can you tell us more about that and, and give us a teaser for it? Sure. It's a working professional studio acting class. We'll begin with a light warm-up just to kind of awaken our bodies and get connected to our bodies and our voices. We'll walk through a guided exercise dealing with sense memory and exploring the specificity of trying to create something with our imagination and applying that specificity to some performance. We have some teachers who are prepared to sing a little bit or uh, have memorized a, a passage of a monologue from a play or text, and we'll then observe their performance and then give them some acting guidance, some coaching along the way to deepen the connection to an, an emotional storytelling, use a little bit of script analysis, some English skills to understand the text and connect to it, allowing ourselves to be the canvas in which we present the art. I'm sure that right now, even though there's plenty of work for us all to be doing, that the educators who have prepared this material have probably gotten a lot, even out of that deep dive effort into memorizing or preparing this for this masterclass. And I'm sure that there's something validating about being in a space where they are, again, performers rather than feeling like they are educators first, artists second. Here they get to be artists. I would hope that the teachers that we reach through this program will understand that as a professional actor, I view teaching absolutely as an art. Every aspect of it should be coming from a place of artistry because it is such a nuanced performance when you're standing in front of a class of students or whether you're in front of an audience of a thousand. You're performing. You're imparting the knowledge. You're improvising. The curriculum is the material, the text, and whether it's through song, dance, puppets, spoken word, however you can communicate it to these open, eager minds, that makes you the quintessential performer. I think it's a very rare and sacred art. The thing I hope everyone takes away from it is that work that we will do in this space is or should be incredibly respected and is ultimately very private because our teacher performers are taking a very big risk putting themselves out there artistically, which is aligned to what we do every day when a teacher stands in front of a class. We put ourselves out there and we take a big risk in order to accomplish the teaching, or in our case, the storytelling. And I'm excited. I really think it's going to be a very eager audience one that's excited to offer feedback and observation. And from that observation and feedback is where I think we learn the most. We're asking ourselves as teachers, as artists, we're asking ourselves a single question, which is how does theater imitate life? Or how does dance imitate life? How does music in, imitate or enhance life? And from that artistic question, we can create an entire art form based in any curriculum that is being taught in a classroom. In, I think, any artistic form, you can tell that story through dance, you can tell it visually, you can tell it in theater, you can tell it in music. Uh, I think the opportunity in answering 
a single artistic question is limitless. And that's just off the top of my head, since mm-hmm. you put me on the spot. <laughs> well, you are a master improviser, to be sure. So speaking of improvisation, parenting and this time and time management has been one enormous education improvisation that none of us were prepared for, thanks to COVID-19. Can you talk about the way in which the arts are involved in your home management and in engaging with your kids during this time? And how are they processing this entire experience? My children are 15 and 11. Our son, Matthew, 15, our daughter, Michaela, 11, are probably adapting to this much better than my wife and I. Mm. They already live a certain portion of their lives online through the video games and Discord and the chat functions that they converse with their friends. When I was growing up, you had breakfast and you got thrown out of the house. <laughs> and, and and you couldn't come back until the street lights came on. It's a different world. They're much more adaptable and flexible to the isolation that has been imposed on them. My wife and I are both from show business. So uh, this we're extroverts. This is definitely a challenge for us. But how we bring the arts into our everyday life, the first rule of improvisation is yes. And is always the response to anything anyone creates as fact. You agree with everything. You flexibly move the story forward. I think we've mastered that task in our lives, the four of us interacting at home. Everything is flexible. Everything is yes and. Everyone wants to contribute to moving our family forward. And we've, we've just kind of implemented that in the most organic way. Our kids are really good that way. They they're motivated. They both play piano exquisitely. My daughter is a drummer. My son plays alto sax. They practice on their own. They've finally run into the place where they're tired of being on the computer or on a device or streaming a video. And now they're actively seeking exercise and artistic interaction. And now we're getting back to playing family games because they've grown bored with the novelty of, oh my God, I can be on my computer almost as long as I want. When we're working in the yard or outside, there's a sense of grounding, of connecting to the earth. Playing music and just being open to the improvisation of our day is is artistically grounding for us. We find ourselves feeling much lighter, much more connected, much happier generally than when we're just kind of trapped in our own little bubbles, which sometimes we do because everybody needs that. So I've been conflicted about the teaching online aspect and certainly in a bigger sense, the whole idea of play readings and theater moving online. The need to communicate and connect is vital and important, but theater as it's defined happens because of its location. Hmm. It's theater because we come together under one roof as an audience to experience something together. And while I certainly don't want to encourage alternate programming to theater that replaces it, the need to connect and take this time to recharge and educate ourselves in the practice of theater is what I think is so vital so that when we are out of isolation and we can safely congregate, we take the tools that we learn and apply them back to that theater. And I mean that as location. Mm-hmm. setting. Well, maybe when it is safe to do so, all of the educators who are in this masterclass will be performing 
what they worked on in public. And we can have those videos all gathered together as a memento of the masterclass and what we've learned and uh, grown through this experience with. I certainly hope so. I hope they'll take this and they can find a way to apply it to their own curriculum. Any teacher can apply this. Anytime you put yourself out there for a potential risk, it's an exciting, engaging element that will draw the audience or the classroom in closer because they'll know this is something different. This is something exciting. And there's great risk in that. But I think that's certainly I know as an actor, I'm paid to take a risk artistically. I'm paid to get the pie in the face. Uh, (laughs) And when I do, the reward is that laugh, that very satisfying laugh that means that, yes, I just did my job. It's both vulnerable and freeing. Absolutely. Ben, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I'm really looking forward to your masterclass, which is taking place on Tuesday, June 9th from 2 to 2.45 p.m. Thank you again so much for joining me today, and I hope your family stays safe and healthy. Thanks, Peter. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Embrace podcast. For more information on arts education in Maryland schools, visit aems-edu.org. To learn more about the Embrace series and how to register for a session, go to msdefinearts.org. Stay safe and stay creative.